Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of DEI After Five. You know, if you have followed me for any time, you know I'm often talking about psychological safety and what managers can do, what organizations can do to ensure, or not to ensure, to start to work toward creating more psychologically safe workplaces, right? So they can't ensure that, but they can definitely take the steps needed to make sure that they're doing their part in creating psychologically safe workplaces. But, you know, as I've been doing more research and listening to other people, um, there have been some conversations around psychological safety that I know just aren't happening. And so my next guest is someone who has been talking about psychosocial hazards in the workplace, right? In order to understand the safety aspect of it, you have to also understand the hazards. And so I want you to welcome um, my guest today is I, David Daniels. So, David, welcome to this show. Glad to be here, Sasha. Thanks for inviting me. Great. So can you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started working in this space? Well, um, like many things that have happened in my life, they probably happened in others as well. I kind of fell into it. Uh, I spent the better part of my uh, W-2 professional career in the fire rescue service, uh, 32 years active in four organizations as a fire chief in three states, um, had a, you know, a lot of experiences. There's you know, way too many of them to talk about in the period of time that we have today. Uh, but I found out about halfway through my fire service career, I was really more interested in occupational safety. Mm. And so uh, I decided to focus on that primarily over the last few years. As a matter of fact, last year I decided to complete a PhD in occupational health and safety and for a person so for a black person, that's a rare thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, there are not a lot of, of black people who do occupational safety in any way, shape or form. We're about uh, six or less percent. You know, the numbers are even hard to find. We're overrepresented in the injured population, but not really highly represented on the safety professional side. And I did my dissertation focused on the lived experience of black workers' exposure to psychosocial hazards in the mm -hmm. American workplace. And uh, it, it's been quite a journey and come to find out that I've been chronically exposed to psychosocial hazards over the course of my life and a bunch of other people have as well. So tell us a little bit, what are psychosocial hazards, right? Again, at the top, I talked about psychological safety and we talk about that quite a bit, but we've never really talked about the hazard side. So tell us a little bit more about that. So the, the, the focus on hazards is what we do in the occupational safety and health space. And in our country, in the United States, we talk about five primary hazards, biological, chemical, ergonomic, physical, and safety hazards. But in a bunch of other countries around the world, actually about 30 of them, there's a sixth hazard that gets discussed, and it's the psychosocial hazard. And I found in my research that there are multiple definitions about what a psychosocial hazard is, but my definition is a psychosocial factor 
that is perceived or experienced by the person as a threat to them, that in turn affects their behavior. So psycho, how we think, social, how we interact with other people. And there are, uh, there's an international standard that's recently been created that suggests that there are 88 of them. But I believe that the, uh, the list is infinite because it's the perception or experience of a person. And so in the DEI space, for example, a microaggression is in and of itself a psychosocial hazard yeah. because it is a threat to the person who's exposed to it. Though the person who is making the comments, saying whatever they're saying, doing what they're doing, they may not feel anything at all. There's no right. reaction because it's not a threat to them. So that, right. And that's what makes this hazard different from all the others. A fire hazard is a fire hazard, a fire hazard. If you heat water over 212, it's going to boil any place on the planet. But a psych psychosocial hazard is just very unique to the person. You know, as you're talking, and I'm just kind of taking notes around that, there are so many psychosocial hazards in the workplace. You know, you, you mentioned um, microaggressions as being an example, but when we talk about these quote unquote toxic environments that people are working in, they're really just operating in a space that are filled with psychosocial hazards. They are, they are. And, and, and as I mentioned, <laughs> as I mentioned, uh, around the world, people have particularly in, uh, in Australia and in Canada uh, and the UK, those are the three leaders with Australia probably being ahead of everybody. Mm. They have standards. As a matter of fact, in October of 2022, a new standard went into place, matter of fact, the law went into place in, in Australia that requires employers to pay attention to the psychosocial hazards they're exposing people to and then treat them as if it were a physical hazard. Like we would uh, we would do here in the US around a chemical. We wouldn't allow you to just bring a, you know, a vat of chemicals into the workplace and not have a safety data sheet and not have a plan to be able to deal with it. But with psychosocial hazards, we've thrown our hands up and said, uh, you know, that's just how people feel. That's soft. Uh, but it's essential that we be able to do that because that's why people are, in some cases, not applying to work at particular places or leaving. Can you give us some examples? You know, you spoke about microaggressions, but I'm thinking of like if, if Australia has kind of this quote unquote list of things that organizations need to be aware of, I'm trying to think, okay, how will we even start a list like this in the U.S.? Or even if organizations want to think about, okay, what are psychosocial hazards? Can you name a few that would be kind of top of mind? So, so I'll, I'll name a few. But, but again, if it's if people if you focus on that definition, is it perceived or experienced by the person exposed as a threat to them? One that we know a lot about in this country is bullying. Bullying yeah. is a psychosocial hazard. Now, it's a, again, there's a, I just happen to be an affiliate of the Workplace Bullying Institute and also on the advisory board for the National Workplace Bullying Coalition. That's actually what really got me interested in learning more about psychosocial hazards. It was mm -hmm. learning more about bullying. And come to find out, it's not the only one. Here's another you might not think about, role ambiguity. So you hire mm -hmm. a job, you tell me the job description is X, but there are all these mm -hmm. other expectations that I don't find out about until I don't meet them. Mm -hmm. That becomes the reason to, you know, to kind of ride me and micromanage me and, you know, whisper in the halls about how I'm not doing my job. Well, why didn't you just tell me that? 
you know, and there are just multiple examples, uh, particularly in the workplace. And a lot of it has to do with leaders or people responsible for other folks who haven't had any training themselves or traumatized by the psychosocial hazards that they've been exposed to. So they just pass that on to other people. You know, when you when you spoke about the role ambiguity, what immediately came to mind for me was situations where organizations want to let go of someone and they start to take responsibilities away or they're not invited to certain meetings. And again, it's creating this hostile environment. But when I think about it, this is what many managers are told to do by HR. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, my master's degree is in HR. Uh, So, and I did that particularly to understand the HR system because I, I figured out the two things that can get a leader in trouble the quickest is mishandling money or mistreating people. It's mm-hmm. actually a, a lot more difficult to mistreat the money because there's so many rules and regulations on how you do that. And we can mistreat or mishandle or misuse people almost accidentally because how many people do you know that are in leadership roles that actually got any training on how to interact with people? They generally got promoted or hired because of their technical school. They can count. Yeah. They're an attorney. They're whatever. But they don't have any real skill in interacting with other people other than what they've experienced. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, and I say that all the time, um, you know, we are not teaching people managers how to be people managers. Right. Right. And and, in something, there is a difference between managing processes and leading people. And people, you know, they get mixed up. You know, again, I have to manage the process of there's a safety management system, but leading people is different. And I, I often say that if you if you say you're a leader and there's no one following you, you're simply out for a walk. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so, oh, I love that. So the question is, is anyone following you? Whatever you're doing, if you can't get people to follow, then, you know, you're not really a leader. You may yeah. be a manager. You may be managing the process. And again, I, I don't say that to be negative or pejorative relative to the leader, him or herself. It's a system problem. It's a system problem. Uh, w. Edwards Deming said that if you look at a system and it's not producing what you expect, 95% of the issue is with the system. But we so, what we so often do is we blame the person and even with the leaders. Oh, they're a bad leader. Well, the system, somebody hired them. Right. Somebody didn't give them the training. Somebody didn't give them the, you know, the, the rules of the road. Uh, so it's it, we, we, we need systems work. We're not going to solve. And, and even on, on this topic of diversity, equity and inclusion, it sounds cute. It sounds you know like we should do it, but it's hard work and it requires systems to cause yeah. it to work, not simply slogans. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and one of the things that I've been doing a lot with um, organizations has been looking at kind of all aspects of that organization and systems is a part of that. Do we have the right systems in place? Not just the technological systems, but do we have some of the operational systems that we need not only to just function, but to create inclusion, right? Are we are we leaving people out? Are we thinking about people as a part of these systems? Because they're not cogs in a wheel. They are humans. That's right. You know, feelings and emotions and expectations and all of those things. Um, and so as you know, we're doing this or as we're talking and I'm thinking through um, what organizations can do in this space, you know, yes, it is looking at systems, but 
I can quickly hear people say, well, that's not my responsibility. Mm. Mm. Well, um, to, to, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to mitigate psychosocial hazards in an organization requires four functions. Okay. I'm not saying these have to be four separate people, but these four functions have to be uh, addressed. People leadership, safety management, human resource management, and mental health management. Mm. So if you have four people, so if you have a people leader and an HR person and a safety professional and a, a mental health provider, that's great. Mo depending on the size of the organization, you may not have all four. That's what consultants, contractors, and others are for, but you have to have all four, period. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not going to work. No leader can do this on their own, period. No safety yeah. professional can do this on, I, you know, I, again, I consider myself to be, you know, very knowledgeable, knowledgeable about safety, but I'm not a mental health provider. I'm trained in mental health first aid, but I'm not a mental health provider. So I can tell you that there's an issue. I may not be able to help you to solve it, but right. much of the challenge is around for hazard. It's around hazard identification. You're not going to mitigate a hazard you don't even recognize is there. Absolutely. So it's, Absolutely. First of all, we got to recognize it's a thing. And for my colleagues in the safety profession, it's getting folks to see that, you know, we talk a lot about physical stuff in this country. The Occupational Safety and Health Act was written in 1970, passed by the 91st Congress. But the 535 people who passed it, only 2% of them were women. Mm. Only 2% of them were of African descent. So the act itself was not designed to make sure that women and people of color were safe at work because that's not who was in the room. I'm not right. saying it's bad people. The act has done some really positive things. It wasn't designed to make sure that, you know, a person who doesn't speak English yeah. uh, is safe in the workplace, which is why all the, which is one of the contributors to the fact that women and people of color are always injured physically more often than their white male colleagues. Yeah. And psychosocially, it's it's insurmountable. It's just not even close because of yeah. the, you know, just because of the way this system is set up. You know, and two things just came up. One, um, you know, Lean In does their annual women in the workplace study. And one of the points that came out of that were black and Latino women, you know, um, were least impacted. Well, no, not least impacted. They did not have the amount of psychological safety as their white female counterparts or anyone else within the organization, yes. right? So that speaks exactly because it wasn't designed for them to be psychologically safe. That's, that's the thing, that's the thing. And, and yeah. I, I, I enjoy having these conversations, but sometimes they get, you know, folks get a little, they kind of bristle when I say that, but I'm not saying that the people who designed this were bad people. I'm saying that they had limited perspective. Absolutely. So a, bunch of, a bunch of guys getting in a room talking about, women's reproductive rights doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me without women being involved in the conversation. A bunch of <laughs> a, bu a bunch of white people getting in the room talking about diversity is a nice idea, but you, you, your perspective is limited. A bunch yeah. of black people getting in the room talking about Jewish people, oh, you pick it. You can't help other people when their voice is not included in the conversation. Yeah. No matter how much you, I, I, I consider myself not only, I'm not an ally of women, I'm an accomplice. So I'll get in there because I was raised by a single mom, never met my dad. So um, I, I, 
I, I'll get in there, but I, I also can't take it over because I'm a man. I don't know what it's like to be a woman, but right. I just, I'm, but the same thing. So if I want to uh, help other people, if we want to be diverse, do things with other people, not for other people. You yes. don't do diversity to me or for me. You should do it with me. Absolutely. I, honestly, I don't need people's charity. I need people to work with me to achieve my goals. You know, the, the thing yeah. and I believe everyone Every human being on this planet should have the dignity to be involved in whatever thing that you say you're trying to do to help them. Yeah, I know in the disability community, there's this phrase of, you know, nothing for us without us, right? Don't design anything for us if you don't have us at the table. That's and right. I think that's exactly, you know, what you're saying. You know, the other piece of, you know, what I'm hearing too is, you know, part of my work and a lot of what my consulting work is around is measuring psychological safety for teams. Um, and it's one thing to go in and say, this is the score for your team. But what I'd like to do too is say, okay, let's break this down by demographics. Mm. Because if your team is, has one score, but then I see that you know people of color have a different score or women have a different score, now we have something to work with where we're like, okay, people are not having the same experience here. And we can dive into... What are some of the ways that we can change or shift this? So I'm loving what you're saying because, you know, yes, psychological psychological safety is important, but if you are doing it in a way where it's still focusing on the majority and those that are on the margins are still marginalized, then what are you really doing? So, so this is one of the things that I do in my consulting practice is going from a safety perspective uh, there's an instrument I created called the Psychosocial Hazard Inventory. Mm. It is, it's a little long for some people, uh, and it's very, you know, it's very simple. It's a, it's a Likert scale. Basically, it's, is it there or not? Because if I okay. can't get people to acknowledge that it's there or not, then they're not going to do anything about it. And so I use the international standard, and I simply ask people, and it's 88 tick boxes. Okay. You know, it sounds long, but it actually... Have you experienced this? Yes or no? This, yes or no? This, yes or no? This, yes or no? Because I tend to find a cluster, every organization will have a cluster of these hazards that people are exposed to. Then mm. we can take the, we don't have to worry about the others, but let's focus in on those. Yeah. So across this organization, we do have, you know, folks, you know, uh, time pressure and, you know, role ambiguity. But, and, and the other thing about these hazards is a hazard is only an issue if you are vulnerable to it. Mm, yes. So we can't eliminate hazards, the psychosocial hazard in the workplace. Not all of them. It's not possible to eliminate them. And for example, I spent, again, a lot of years going to, going to buildings on fire and people being stabbed and shot and all these type of things. You can't eliminate that hazard from that industry, but you can prepare people better to be able to deal with it. That's the issue. If you're going yeah. to send people out healthcare and, you know, public safety and, you know, these high stress, high, if you're going to put people as an employer, you're going to put people out there to be exposed to that stress, perhaps we should do a better job to protect people after they're exposed. Yeah. And that requires being proactive about that process, right? Because oftentimes it's people are reactive and then it comes off as inauthentic and yeah. then there's a lack of trust because 
you know, you didn't think about this before and you mm -hmm. didn't really care about us. Yeah. So all, it starts to snowball. Yes. And in these situations. If you would have included me in the beginning. Right. So this thing about D, E, yes. and I, inclusion. Why is it inclusion? So you go in the room, you and your buddies go in the room and come up with something and bring it out and say, we'd like to include you now. No, 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 no. No. Let's have the conversation before y'all go and make the final decision. Let's not do the right. pseudo participative process where you've already got your mind made up. Right. Why don't we have an open discussion about what we want to do, what we want to achieve and what my role in it is. Yeah. Absolutely. If I don't have a role, I'm not sure why I'm here. Absolutely. Right. And that's part of that. Um, what I try to do and create these inclusive culture teams is it's a mix of every level, every person, every marginalized person is represent you know it we create it and that's where the decision making is made it's not made yeah. with the executives and then it trickles down because we know trickle down doesn't work yeah no no <laughs> yeah that's a whole other conversation but i you know it's absolutely that inclusion is such a huge part of that and then when you do that there's transparency people see and understand the process they now know okay nothing's being hidden from us Right. So it starts to create this level of trust, which then increases kind of that feeling of safety. And OK, yes. you you care and I'm involved and I'm not an afterthought. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Timothy Clark wrote a book, The Four Stages of Psychological Safety. They know me well. <laughs> a leader factor. <laughs> so 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 um, uh, again, you know, you may have a level of, you know, or, or one of the stages of psychological safety. You may have people included, but if they can't challenge what's going on, then they've not reached the ultimate level. It, and again, it is these hazards that you didn't recognize were there that are causing me to shut down. You know, so what, you know, we, we had a lot of conversation when I was active in fire service about, well, how come we can't get, you know, more women? Well, uh, uh you can't get more women because the system wasn't designed for women. So redesign the system. Why do you carry around all that heavy equipment? Because we always have. Well, it hurts the men. So why don't we just redesign it for everybody? And, and when I hear people talk about, you know, the fact that we can't find workers and we can't find people to participate, you don't want them there enough. Right. That's, I mean, you don't. You created a system for the people who are there. So, yeah, but you have to create an environment that is open and welcoming for the people that you want. And let's be real about this. Let's be honest. Everybody, you can't be all things to all people. And right. why, why, I, I wish people would just say that. Don't tell me that you want, you know, you want white people to work with you when you don't have any. Don't just don't just say we want white people here. And that's okay. I mean, frankly, I don't have to buy from you. I, I don't. Right. I'm not, I don't even have an issue with that. I would just prefer that people be honest and not fib to me and I tell me, oh yeah, we're open and inclusive until I actually show up. You want my face to look different. You want my voice to be the same. So mm. just be honest. Just be honest. Yes. And I think people, there are plenty of spaces on the planet for people to find. Now, you might want to be with my group. Uh, I have some stuff to offer, but that's up to you. This is where competition comes in. Do you want access to my talent or not? If you don't, that's fine. Somebody else will accept it and then they'll make the money. <laughs> yeah. And you know, one of the things that um, I've often said to folks is, and I heard this from another leader, you know, when someone is preparing to do an organ transplant, you have to prepare the body for this new organ. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Right. You can't just stick another organ in in there and think that it's Mm. going to work. You have to prepare the body. So the same is for if you're asking for underrepresented talent to come into your organization, you have to prepare the organization for that, right? So that you're not just bringing them in. It's not just the recruiting, right? But what are you doing to ensure that they're successful, that there's not a rejection of that organ? You know, all of those things need to be in place because if they're coming out, if they're going out the back door just as fast as you're bringing them to the front door, then what are you really doing? Right. Yeah. Right. Other than making creating numbers. That's right. And sometimes you'll have you'll be on medication to prevent the organ from being rejected for a really long period of time. These things just don't happen like that. People people have been told since birth that women are weaker or that black people aren't smart or that Hispanic people are lazy. They've been told this stuff their entire life. That's not going to change just like that. So this is this constant working. Even those of you folks out there going like, well, we really want to do better. Well, you're going to have to keep working. You can't just work at it for two or three days and throw your hands up. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It, it takes time or it takes drastic change. That's yeah. still going to take time. Yeah, so it's going to take time. Right. So, yeah, it has to be an investment. So, you know, David, we could continue this conversation for days because I, I just think that it's so fascinating. And, you know, like I said, I talk about psychological safety so much, but I don't think anyone has really thought about what are the actual hazards that you're creating or that are there yes. so that you have to think about safety. That's right. Well, the way, the way I describe it is you, they, they are, they're symbiotic. So you will not get and achieve psychological safety unless you address the psychosocial hazards you're exposing people to. And often uh, we don't do a good job at that because our entire safety system is just not very good. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just yeah. not. So there are many people who talk about safety and use that word, but do they really even know what that means? And, you know, and, then, and particularly again, I, I, as I said earlier, in the black community, we just, we have a lack of understanding of what safety is because it's just not something we've been exposed to. But that's my, my goal is to, really to help my people, you know, to, to know that we shouldn't be injured at rates higher than everyone else in the workplace. We shouldn't. We shouldn't be exposed to more risk than everybody else is. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, but but somebody's got to start that conversation, and that's what we do. You know, both on the uh, the podcast actually that I host. I, I you know I'm I'm again one of the few black people out here talking about it. So, um, but I, I don't do it specifically to black people. But I believe if it's good for everybody, it'll be better for us. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I want to do a little bit of a pivot, okay? Because this is not easy work, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, these hazards and safety. And so some may be physical. A lot of this is emotional and psychological. So what do you do? How do you take care of yourself? What do you do to fill your cup? Uh, Actually, a few things. Uh, One is therapy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Amen. Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. one is therapy. And uh, uh, particularly over the last, you know, pretty consistent over the last three years or so. I uh, just decided that rather than kind of hopping in, I, I have a regular schedule of seeing a therapist. Uh, I also, uh, I'm involved in things that I enjoy doing. Uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of that, you know, I volunteer my time to do, you know, think particularly around this space because I enjoy it, not because, you know, I'm not trying to make a buck doing it. Now, I don't mind making a buck doing something. <laughs> right. But, but I, I find I put myself in spaces and places where I feel safe sharing my ideas 
and exchanging with other. I enjoy having conversation with people. Um, and over the last, you know, again, year and a half or two, it's become easier because I don't even have to get my car and drive anywhere. I can just <laughs> and zoom I right to, in. <laughs> just kind of zoom right in. So um, a lot of it is that, you know, and, and this, you know, I, I enjoy music, all kinds of music, predominantly R&B, jazz and gospel. Not necessarily in any particular order, but I like all of them. And uh, I, you know, I, I also enjoy the company of my uh, of my girlfriend of 35 years that I decided to marry 34 years ago. <laughs> that kind of works out, you know. So yeah. Anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, where could people get in contact with you if they wanted to continue to learn more? Well, uh, they can certainly go to my uh, website. Uh, I started ID2 Solutions about 11 years ago. And for the first seven or eight years, it really was more of a hobby, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I, I've started to actually take it a little bit more seriously over the last couple of years, and uh, you know, find myself working with lots of different folks. And I, safety applies to any and everybody, but particularly, you know, I try to help you know small organizations who don't have their own safety person, and you know, so again, the the full suite of occupational safety and health services. Uh, to include if some if folks need a safety professional, not all the time, you know, I can work with them every now and then. I, I, I figured out that it's not my job to make people safe. Yeah. It's my job to, to share information with folks so they can decide whether they want to expose themselves to that hazard or not. It's up to uh, up to folks that way. Um, I, I certainly, you know, to, uh, through my website, I find my email, but I'm fairly active on LinkedIn, <laughs> uh, fairly active on LinkedIn and have enjoyed, you know, the opportunities. As a matter of fact, that's where I, you know, I, I discovered you and yep. what you're doing. And, and uh, I watched a couple of episodes and I went, I got to meet that lady. She got something going on over there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, and so, uh, and again, the other thing is the my, my, my podcast that comes out once a week on Fridays. Uh, again, it's sponsored uh, by a company actually in Australia. And um, it is one of five global podcasts that talk about this topic. But again, of all the hosts, I'm the only one who has a safety, uh, occupational safety background because uh, most of the others, yeah, great content, but they come at it from a mental health perspective. Yep. I come at it from a safety perspective. And also here in the U.S., we don't have a regulation yet. And some people, they won't do it until there's a regulation, but we don't have one yet. So uh, I'm trying to help people understand that the issues of safety, diversity, equity, inclusion, they're all connected. All connected. Yes. All connected. Yes. People won't be a part of something if they don't feel safe. Think about Maslow's hierarchy. <laughs> you, if you can't get above the safety level, you can't self-actualize and self-esteem. That's not going to happen. I don't feel safe. Yeah. I, I believe the most important thing that you can and should do as a leader is create a safe space for those who you say you want to follow you. Absolutely. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, I have taken notes after notes and, and just my wheels are turning. That's so <laughs> we will continue this conversation because I have some ideas. But you know, thank you so much for being with us today and, and sharing this because I think, again, this is something that many people don't think about. Right. And we want to start to get them thinking about um, how to take their DEI efforts to the next level. And this absolutely. is absolutely a part of that. Absolutely. So thank you so much. 
Thank you all for being a part of today's episode. Hopefully you have walked away with a couple of nuggets and some ideas um, about what you can do in your organizations or ways to start thinking about what are the psychosocial hazards within your organization. Um, again, please continue to subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast uh, platform, and we will see you next time. Have a good one. Thank you.